welcome again to 9.30. We're so glad you're here, especially if you're a first-time guest with us or a returning guest uh, with us. Again, I'm David. Uh, I serve as a senior pastor here. And if you are new, this church is about uh, making disciples of Jesus. You already heard that in our opening video. We think uh, of that as people coming to faith in Jesus and growing in faith in Jesus, which means growing in deeper love with God, love with others, and service to the world. We believe a church is healthy and vital uh, and what God wants it to be when people are coming to faith in Jesus and growing in their faith in Jesus. Uh, and so you, you hear a story like Lauren's and you hear that as a story for you to celebrate because it belongs to you as a church. It's a, uh, it's a recognition that God is here, that God is doing something in the life uh, of this church. I'm going to tell you one more before I dive in today at one o'clock. Larissa, correct? Larissa, who was just up here leading. Wave a hand, Larissa. Larissa has been singing in our 930 band, uh, Saturday night band, for, uh, for quite some time. And a few months ago, she told me this story uh, a couple weeks ago. A few months ago, she felt a calling to serve the homeless. And so she connected with our mission team, and they said, well, they're looking to restart a worship service for the homeless community in Fort Worth. Some of you have been to Unity Park in Fort Worth to serve the homeless with our church. Today at one o'clock, a new worship service is beginning there for the homeless community. Larissa is going to be the worship leader for, for that service. And so isn't that neat, church, huh? How about that? That is, that is absolutely awesome. And again, it's one of your stories. It's a testament to who you are as a family of faith. And so I want you to hear that uh, as a recognition of what God is doing among you. We're in this series right now called Declutter. And if you're brand new, I'm just assuming this, this speaks to you. Okay, that there's something about this that you go, I get that. I know exactly what that's about. That's what I'm kind of banking on. I'm making that assumption that when we talk about declutter and the clutter and chaos of life, there's a part of you that goes, yep, that's what my life looks like sometimes. I, I know what the theme is all about. But we've made the additional note each and every week that we're not just talking about the clutter that surrounds us, but also the clutter that is within us. We've been making the statement that our clutter problem is a soul problem problem. And so we've looked at that from a couple different angles. We talked about hurry last week. This week we're going to talk about noise. And so if you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to turn to 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18. If you did not bring your Bible with you, we have these blue Bibles in the seat pocket in front of you. You'll find 1 Kings 18 on page 553 in this blue Bible. I encourage you to pull that out. I want you to follow along as we think about noise. Now, when you think about noise, my guess is that most of us think about the way in which technology has added noise to our life. Do you recognize that? We live in a hyper-connected world, a world in which we are immediately available through multiple different ways to other people, and they are available to us to communicate, which is both a blessing, isn't that great? And a curse isn't that not so great at times. We live in a world where information literally is at our fingertips, limited only by the bandwidth of the particular device that we may be using at that particular time. We live in a world where we no longer have to wait for the 6 o'clock news or the 10 o'clock news. News surrounds us every single moment of the day. And most of us, many of us, we don't even get our news anymore from a major news source. Where do we get our news from? 
Facebook, social media, etc. Everyone in this hyper-connected world has the ability to play the part of the reporter of what is happening in the world. We live in a world where we are surrounded by screens. Someone made the, the, the very astute observation that we began the declutter series by adding additional clutter to the stage and bringing another screen. That's... I thought that was pretty funny. We live in this world of, of, of information all around us. And when we think about noise, I think that's where we often go. But I want to remind you before we begin that this is not a modern problem. This isn't just something that happened uh, because of the technological revolution that we are living in right now. This is actually a problem that we have always dealt with. Let me show you a picture to, to, uh, to illustrate that. This is... Um, this is a product from 1925 called the Isolator. And you see here this nice little hat that you can wear and that it connects to an oxygen tank. Now, according to the ad, it's not clear whether the oxygen tank is sold separately or this is a set. I'm not quite sure. But if you have a birthday coming up, I just want you to know this is not available anymore, okay? The product didn't make it, but Bose makes some pretty good no noise-canceling headphones, okay? This is kind of the 1925 version of that. Do, do you see? This is not just a modern problem. This is something that we've always dealt with because we're not just talking about the outer noise. We're also talking about the inner noise of our life. We're talking about the voice of doubt and the voice of fear that we often hear internally. We're talking about the whisper, sometimes the shouting of the soul that is seeking to find harmony amongst the chaos of life. We're, we're talking about the tension between what we know we need, silence, and the acknowledgement, the somewhat uncomfortable acknowledgement that most of us are addicted to the noise that surrounds us, the visual stimulation that surrounds us each and every day. And so what I want to look at today is what noise does to us and how we as people of faith respond to that. How, how can we uh, begin to deal with that clutter and chaos that noise brings into our life? So to do that, we're going to look at 1 Kings chapter 18. Let me tell you a little bit about where we are in the scriptures. Uh, this is the 11th book of the Old Testament. We're in the middle of the life of Elijah, a prophet who lived during a time when Israel was dealing with the influence of their foreign neighbors. You can take that off, by the way. <laughs> That's good. So Elijah was living during a time where Israel was dealing with the influence of their foreign neighbors, and in particular, the allegiance their neighbors had to their own gods. So during this particular time, 1 Kings 18, Israel was dealing with a drought and King Ahab, the king of Israel, was trying to, to do something to help his people. And so one of the things that he was thinking about and leaning towards is the idea that the neighboring people, the Assyrians, had a particular God that was dedicated to this one issue. The, the God Baal, which from the rest of the sermon, I'm just going to call him Baal because it's easier to say. This God, the, the Assyrians thought, was in charge of bringing the rain. And so Israel, in the midst of a drought, is looking towards these neighboring gods and thinking, well, they got somebody who specializes in this. We should go see him. And Elijah is seeking to defend against the influence of these foreign people and their foreign gods. And so the way in which he does this is he challenges the prophets of Baal to a duel. 
Okay, let me just read this to you so you can kind of see what a duel looks like according to Old Testament times. We're going to begin in verse 22. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. So here is the bargain here. Get two bulls for us, Elijah says. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call in the name of your God. I'll call in the name of the Lord, my God. The God who answers by fire, he is God. And then all the people said, what you say is good. So here's the duel. Here's the challenge, uh, Elijah says. You've got 450. It's only me. Here's what we're going to do to settle this. We're both going to build an altar. We're both going to place an offering on the altar, and God is going to show up, a God is going to show up and light the fire of one of these altars. So even though Elijah is outnumbered 450 to 1, he decides to give the prophets of Baal a head start. And so in the beginning of the day, very early in the morning, they build their altar, they place their bull on it, and they begin to pray to their God, praying to Baal, and nothing happens. And after praying to him and nothing, hap- and nothing happening, the prophets of Baal decide to begin dancing for the god Baal. Jump down with me to verse 27. This is about halfway through the day. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Remember, 450 to one. But Elijah is the one who is taunting them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy, or traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder. So we're halfway through the day. Elijah's given them the head start. Now he's taunting them. We get to about late afternoon and Elijah says, okay, it's now time for me to enter the game. He builds his altar. He places his offering on that altar. And then we jump down to verse 38. Here's what happens. Then the fire of the Lord fell. And burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. Now, I forgot to tell you this part. So not only does, halfway through the day, does Elijah begin to taunt the prophets of Baal, but after he finishes building his own altar and placing his offering on that altar, then he says to the people, hey, everybody, let's douse this with water. Just to, he's probably showing off at this point. But when the fire comes, it licks up the water in the trench. Go to the next slide there. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And then Elijah commanded them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them, and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. So this is the challenge, this is the duel. Elijah wins, the people rejoice, they they turn to God as God, and Elijah uses this ecstatic moment on behalf of the people to have them turn against the prophets of Baal. Now let me just pause and ask you this question. Have you ever had a really good day? And I don't mean like, 
It was a pretty good day. I'm talking a really good day. Like a day where you were facing a significant challenge in your life. Maybe it was a testing that you had been preparing for for months. It was a day that you knew was going to be a great challenge. And at the end of that day, you thought, man, I nailed it. You ever had a day like that? I hope you have. I hope you've had a day like that where you have just wanted to celebrate and sing. You drove home with the stereo up. You didn't care what anybody else thought as they, drove, as they passed you. You, know, it was, you were so excited because you had just had a really good day. If you've had a day like that, then you can relate to the day that Elijah just had. This was a really good day. Everything he had wanted to happen, happened. So look at how this, this wraps up at the end of chapter 18. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The winds rose. A heavy rain started falling. Remember, rain is what started this whole thing. There was a drought. And Ahab, who was the king of Israel, rode off to Jezreel. But look at verse 46. The power of the Lord came on Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt... He ran ahead of Ahab, who again was riding, all the way to Jezreel. It's about 16 miles, by the way. This is the end of Elijah's day. He decides, I'm going to go for a run. He runs all the way back, ecstatic, but for what God has done. Then we get to verse 19, or chapter 19, beginning with verse 1. Look at this. Now Ahab, remember who Ahab is? He's the king of Israel, told Jezebel. Now, I haven't told you who Jezebel is yet, but how many of you have a daughter or granddaughter named Jezebel? Anybody? Nobody? This is the third service. No, you do? Huh? Your dog is named Jezebel. I don't know what to do with that. So we sort of have this sense that this isn't the best name in the world, except for Sharon's dog. That's, that's, that's fine. You may not know why. It comes from the story. Jezebel was the primary person who was influencing Ahab towards the worship of these false gods. Jezebel was Ahab's wife, okay? So now Ahab, king of Israel, told Jezebel, his not-so-nice wife, everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say this. Here's the message. May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Now if you have a hard time translating the message, it's you're dead, Elijah. Okay, that's the message that Jezebel sends to Elijah. But Elijah has just had the greatest day ever. He, God has just shown up in this incredible, incredible, he ran all the way home. So what's Elijah going to do? I mean, how is he going to respond to this? Well, look at verse 3. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Now, one of the reasons that I want you to bring your Bible is I want you to see that I didn't skip anything there, okay? I mean, we went straight from... He ran 16 miles in celebration to continuing to run, but this time running for his life. 
Did anyone else feel a little bit of whiplash there? I mean, whoa, Elijah went from this moment of exceptional confidence in God to outright fear for his life. How'd that happen so fast? Like just like that, he got turned around 180 degrees, he changes directions. He goes from the conviction of faith. God had shown up to total acceptance of his defeat and his despair. This is one of the things I love about this story because it makes me feel a little less bad about myself. Because in my life, I don't know, maybe you can relate to this, sometimes I can get turned around like that. You ever feel that? Like you go from this moment of exceptional confidence, God has shown up, to, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? He, he goes from total faith to the acceptance of defeat. How in the world did he get turned around so fast? Well, the answer is really simple. You know the answer. Life does that to us, doesn't it? Life turns us around. I was thinking this week about things in life that turn us around. Parenting can turn you around. Do you recognize this? Uh, we have a, uh, someone on our staff who just had a child. I won't tell you her name because I don't want to embarrass Leslie, but she just had her... Uh, <laughs> She just had her second child. She has an older daughter. She's, uh, her older daughter is, I think, two or three. And so they just welcomed a, a, a little boy. And this little boy, uh, he's cute. I will affirm that he is cute. I know that because I have seen more pictures of this child than my own children. But uh, he's a cute. And of course, the, the pictures that, that she loves to share are the pictures where older sister is being so loving and caring for younger brother. I mean, they're just the pictures that just, they just melt your heart, you know? You're like, oh, it's so cute, little baby. Little naked picture of baby. I don't understand that, but whatever. Uh, and little older sister taking care. And so she, she puts this picture on Facebook that's just the sweetest thing you could ever imagine. You know, there's, there's older pic, the older sister taking care of younger brother. And everyone's adding all these comments. He's so cute. He's so loving. It's so wonderful. You're so great. Well, I decided to add a comment. Because I felt like there was wisdom that I could share at this moment. So this was the comment that I, that I added. And here's why, because I have an older daughter, and I have a younger son, and it was totally cute until God gave the son the ability to talk back, <laughs> and then it wasn't so cute anymore. Daughter didn't love it as much, won't last. Parenting turns us around, it starts out like, how hard can this be? And then your child lives to prove you wrong for ever saying that, right? You know what else will turn you around? Marriage will turn you around. You remember when marriage began? You were like, how hard can this be? What are these people thinking? What are they talking about? He is so sensitive. He always knows what I need. She's so supportive of me. Every idea I come up with, she thinks is great. And then Marriage turns you around, right? You, you, my wife read the first draft of this message and she said, that's a really good illustration. I didn't know how to feel about that, that she thought it was such a good <laughs> illustration. 
noise. Noise can turn you around. It is the noise around us that often stokes the voice of doubt and fear within us. Noise can lead us to those 180 degree turns. And do you see that in the life of Elijah? In this critical moment, he goes from complete and total confidence in God to this moment of outright terror and fully accepting his despair and his defeat. Why? Because of what Jezebel said. You're dead, man. You're dead. Listen to what Richard Foster says. In contemporary society, our adversary majors in three things, noise, hurry, and crowds. If he can keep us engaged in muchness and manyness, he will be satisfied. This noise turns us around. It, it floods our field of vision with the things in life that are not essential, inviting us to forget, to, to lose focus on what we know is essential. Well, look at what Elijah does. Go to 1 Kings. uh, We're going to go to 19, beginning in verse 7. The angel of the Lord came back and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by the food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights uh, to Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They have torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Here's what I want you to see in this this story, that Elijah, in this critical moment, this moment where he had accepted despair and defeat, he does two things that most of us don't like to do. The first thing he did is he embraced solitude. He withdrew from the world around him, from the outer noise. He withdrew. He embraced solitude, and he pursued silence. But here's what I want you to see. After he did those two things, what did he find? He found first more noise. The first thing he experienced was the wind that tore the mountain apart. But the scripture says the Lord wasn't in the wind. And then he experienced an earthquake, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And then fire, but the Lord wasn't in the fire. It was only after Elijah endured all of those things that he heard a whisper. And eventually heard the voice that said, what are you doing here, Elijah? That's often how it works for us. We we take time, we seek to withdraw, we give it five minutes, and what do we find? More noise? The outer noise is gone, but the inner noise is still churning. But Elijah waited for that to pass. And when he did, he heard 
the whisper. I want to share with you two convictions that I have for my own life when I am in a moment just like this, a moment that you have lived through before as well, where life turns me around. And yes, I have studied this book, and yes, I've gone to school to study this book, and yes, I'm a pastor, and yes, I prepare to share all these things with you, but you cut me, I bleed, I'm just like you. I get turned around too. And here are two convictions that I have about how we listen for the voice of God in the midst of those moments when we get turned around. Here's the first one. God's Spirit is always speaking truth into my life. Now, I'll be honest with you. Even after claiming faith in Christ, walking in that way for quite some time, I didn't believe this for quite some time, but I believe it now. That God's Spirit is always speaking truth into my life. Now, that does not mean that I always hear it. It doesn't mean that I always recognize it. It doesn't mean that I always know exactly what that spirit is seeking to convey to my spirit, which is why often my prayer time looks like this. God, I don't know what you want me to hear. I'm listening. I don't get it. I'm, I'm turned around. I'm confused. I, I need to, I know you're speaking, but I can't hear you. One of the things that I carry with me every day are some prayer beads. It's got a nice little Celtic cross on the end. And if you've never, this is not weird, by the way. If you've never, if you're a tangible person, that's what it is for me. It keeps me focused during prayer. The, the purpose of the prayer beads is that you move around with the beads and you pray as you go. Often my prayer time looks like this. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. 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 And on and on it goes. (laughs) Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Why? Because I believe the Spirit is always speaking truth into my life, even and especially when those moments when I cannot hear it and I need to quiet the outer noise and the inner noise in order to connect with it. Now, here's the second idea God does not like to yell. I wish I wanted to state that even more definitively to say God does not yell. But I think there's probably that 1% time in our life where God is yelling. Stop. But most of the time, here's my conviction, most of the time God does not like to yell. Now, I'll be honest with you, I don't really understand fully why that is. But I think part of the reason is that when someone chooses not to yell, In order to listen to them, you kind of have to lean into the relationship. God doesn't yell. God whispers. God's Spirit is always speaking. And while we might pray, God, neon sign, please. God's Spirit often doesn't speak to us in that way. God's Spirit does speak to us in whispers. God's Spirit does speak to us in in peaceful ways. He does not respond as we might often respond to others. He invites us to be still. He invites us to quiet the outer noise. He invites us to, to, to bring stillness to the inner noise, the turmoil, the 
the, the, the chaos, the confusion that we have to endure the wind and the earthquake and the fire in order to get to the place where we can hear the whisper of the Spirit that is speaking a really good word. That's my conviction, that God is speaking a really, really good word in your life. Now, if you believe that, if you believe that God's Spirit is always speaking truth to your life, if you believe that God does not like to yell, then it raises this really difficult question. One worth considering today, what is God whispering to you today? What is God whispering to you today? Now, by the way, I don't know the answer. I don't know what it is. I don't know what... I don't know what's going on in your life right now. I don't know where you feel confused, where you feel turned around. I don't know what you're worried about. I don't know where, what, what you're afraid of. I don't know where in your life you are beginning to hear maybe a little bit more loudly that voice of doubt. I don't know what that is. But I believe that God's Spirit, out of love for you, is seeking to share with you a word of life. A word that is good, a word that God's heart wants so much for your heart to hear. What might that word be? The word might be stop. The word might be rest. The word might be I love you. The word might be stop being so hard on yourself. The word might be, you don't have to worry about that anymore. The word might be, you don't have to live like that anymore. The word might be, you need to step away from that behavior or that relationship that is stealing life from you. It could be so many different things, but I'm convinced it's a good word. It's a word that leads to life, and it is a word that is worth waiting for. And that's often what it requires of us to hear it. It requires us to wait, to be still, to endure the silencing of what is around us, but also what is within us in order to hear the voice of the Spirit. What is it? What is God whispering to you today? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your loyalty to us. For your love. For your grace. For always, Lord, being for us. We lean into that promise today. And we pray, Lord, that you would make this space right now a sanctuary. A haven of blessing and peace that we might today hear the voice of your spirit. Lord, I know to each and every heart in this room you are sharing a good word. Thank you for that. Enable us, Lord, to find quiet, to escape the noise, to embrace solitude, pursue silence, to, to really listen to what your spirit is seeking to share with our spirit. This is our prayer today. 
In Jesus' name, amen.